anybody that's been through Marine Corps boot camp knows in the beginning there's not a lot they the, the they like to tell you that it's the easiest time that you'll you'll ever have in your life because you don't have to think about anything you don't have to think about when you eat when you brush your teeth what body part you're gonna wash um, what you're gonna wear you don't think about anything they tell you what to do when to do it uh, but then as they go along it's so intentional about then connecting you to the team connecting you not then to the team but to the Marine Corps to the mission to right so it's not about you necessarily so it's always about it's about the team right like you you can't just be thinking about yourself you have to make decisions based on the team uh and what's going to be for the greater good of the team uh and that's reinforced from a very um uh, from a very early stage and um i've seen it play out uh, and i've seen the benefit of the team and i've seen teams um I've seen the power of teams um, in that world, and, and you know that it's one thing to create in, in an environment like a marine, like the Marine Corps. Obviously, you're not going to replicate that in uh, in a sales team, nor I, do I think you you probably want to. But there's elements of that, right, that you can take and, and you can uh, you can put into place and intentionally build that culture around team and company and doing. Um, doing what's good for each other. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Tim Mann. Tim is Director of Sales at Blueboard, and we're proud to have Blueboard as one of the sponsors here on the Sales Enablement Podcast. And in today's conversation, Tim and I talk about his fascinating as well as unconventional path to a career in sales. I mean, Tim, at one point, was a member of the U.S. Marines, tactical, chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive incidents response force. And uh, he shares a story about having to respond in one of those instances, which is really interesting. Tim has also worked for a nonprofit that used running as a way to form and empower a community, resulting in self-sufficiency within homeless and underserved populations. So it was really interesting to me as I spoke with Tim is how all these diverse experiences prior to getting into sales have proven valuable in shaping how Tim sells and how he manages sellers in a fast-growing startup. So we get into this and much, much more. But before we get to Tim, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's jump into it. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. Super excited to be here. I've been a fan for, for a long time. Oh, well, that's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Um, my guests don't often say that. I'll have you come back more often. <laughs> Stroke my ego. I like that. Yeah, that's all. That's all it takes. Yeah, very. So, uh, yeah. Well, so tell us about now. We got that out of the way. Um, tell us about you and the work that you do. Yeah, uh, so um, I am the director of sales at Blueboard. Uh, Blueboard is a reward and recognition company that focuses exclusively on experiential rewards. So instead of the, the traditional like cash, gift cards, points, uh, things like that, we are sending people out skydiving, sending them on trips, sending them to um, nice dinners with their family, you name it, uh, different things for different types of people, but all personalized to them with a personal concierge to do that. So I'm uh, leading the mid-market team here at Blueboard uh, doing that. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, we Blueboard is a valued sponsor of this program. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, this this idea that you, on one example, is just like, yeah, enough of President's Club, right? I mean, who, as, as I wrote about, who enough who wants to see the boss in their bikini or in their Speedo, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hanging by the pools. You'd like to do something more customized, personalized, more meaningful to you as an individual. And yeah, this gives management a way to sort of reward people with these these very tailored experiences and i say i think experiences is sort of the key word because certainly all the research says is that all of us really are looking for more experiences yeah yeah and especially now right um like i just feel like we we constantly hear more than ever people just trying to get out there and and do things and you know doing things for the first time again often Uh, like first time in a long time going on this trip going to this place to see this thing um so there's a lot of just like getting back out there uh, that we're seeing people really excited about. Well, that's true. Yeah, in, in the context of pandemic, people are feeling a little more at ease, well, barring <laughs> BA.5, uh, which seems to be uh, causing a little bit of havoc right now. But in general, people feel more comfortable getting out and doing things they didn't do the last couple of years. Yep, absolutely. Well, you had a very side called circuitous route into sales and selling. And I always like when people have such fascinating backgrounds, I always like to talk about is, I mean, you started your work career in the Marines and uh, saying you're a member of this, like, I don't know, there must be an acronym there somewhere, but a chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive incidents response team. So uh, that caught my eye. So, so tell us about that. What can you tell us about that? And, and, did you ever have to respond to a chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear explosive incident? Yeah. So, so a couple of things. Uh, circuitous is, is uh, one of the nicest words I, I've I've heard <laughs> used to describe my experience. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and there is an acronym for it. It's CBRF. Um, so, so yeah, I um, I definitely had a. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of traditional paths to sales, um, but maybe more of a non-traditional path. So yeah. um, I joined the. I joined the Marine Corps um, a few months after September 11th um, in 2002, um, and then w- was stationed at the Chemical Biological Incidents Response Force uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, so is that a time of like heightened security in the country around oh, yeah. attacks and, and nuclear attacks and everything else? So we were trained to respond to um, any type of attacks within uh, within the United States and potentially abroad. So um, luckily for us, there weren't a lot of um, attacks in, in the U.S. at that time, but there was the the Ricin incident at the Capitol that we responded to. Oh, right, um, right. So, yeah, we did we did show up to that. And um, well, know. so when you get a call like that and and sure, somebody says, hey, potential, I guess it's biological uh, mm-hmm. attack. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, back then we had we were on call uh, twenty. We'd go through uh, shifts of being on call for twenty four hours uh, right. at a time. So you're on an incident response force, and, and the pager would go off. Pager. Uh, we we had pagers back then. <laughs> um, the the pager would go off, and you'd respond. And you know, it's it's interesting looking back on it. Like I was, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 at the time. Right. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, like panic and like, oh, there's an attack. It was just kind of like, all right, like now we got to do the thing that we were 
trained to do um, type of thing. So it's just like, you know, kind of young and dumb. I don't think you think about it often as much in those type of scenarios uh, as I would now. Yeah. And so were you guys doing like remediation or? Uh... Yeah. So we're, we're going in to look through everything in the capital for, for ricin uh, and like go through the mail, pick everything up, like clear the building. Um, and yeah, just make sure the building was safe for people to return. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that had to have been a little exciting. So, um, yeah, you moved from there into nonprofits. Uh, yeah, you worked one with prisoner reentry, which is again, very admirable. Are you familiar with uh, Strively? Yeah, yeah, very familiar. I, I connected with uh, the founder of that uh, the other month when I came across it. So, yeah, I'd like to do some work with them at some point. Yeah, so Kate's been on the show a couple times, uh, including bringing one of her graduates. And people haven't heard any of the episodes with Kate uh, Lighty. She has this organization, Strively, which trains uh, recently incarcerated people to become SDRs, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. So what yeah. was the program you worked with? Yeah, so uh, so there's a couple in the nonprofit space. So coming out of the Marine Corps, um, you know, I was looking to looking to give back, looking to, to do work, do meaningful work, kind of do give back to the community. You know, I was somebody that had a lot of um, second, third, fourth, fifth, 20th chances uh, in my life. Um, so I wanted to to help provide other people that opportunity right. uh, and be part of that. So my first job out of college after the Marine Corps, I was deployed overseas, came back, moved to New York City, went to college in Brooklyn. And my first job was... Um, as a discharge planner at Rikers Island, the New York City jail. Uh, so helping wow. inmates plan for their release. Right. Um, so I ran a gang um, involved dorm. Uh, so individuals that, that were gang involved and wanted to be part of a program. So we would run CBT groups, uh, mm -hmm. go in there, I'd do like weekly uh, one on ones with them, help them plan. What are they going to do when they get out? What are the jobs? What are the resources? Um, I'd go down every morning and give the pitch to inmates that were coming in about, you know, our program and why they should, um, why they may want to take advantage of a program right. like that. Um, man, was that an eye-opening experience. Yeah. I mean, so for people who, 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 uh, aren't from New York city or maybe just hear it on cop shows, tell people what Rikers Island is. Yeah, Rikers Island is uh, the New York City uh, jail, infamous or famous, I guess, depending on how you hear about it. But you'll you'll often see it de depicted in uh, a lot of shows and um, movies. It's this big, massive facility. I mean, there, you know, I live part of the time in New York City, and there's yeah, yeah. conversation about relocating, closing, relocating uh, yeah. Rikers. Um, yeah, yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and then interesting after that, you were. Tell me, you uh, worked with a nonprofit that um, was sort of based on running. This yeah. This was very interesting. So tell us about that. Yeah. So so after that, um, you know, I, I after the Marine Corps, I, I very much got into running um, and just continued down that path. And then I found an organization that combined those two things that I was super passionate about. One, like helping provide people opportunity. Right. Uh, and then two, running. Um, so this organization partnered with homeless shelters, substance abuse programs, prison reentry programs, 
Uh, and we'd set up running teams at 530 in the morning, uh, three days a week. We'd bring in volunteers from the community uh, to meet up with those uh, individuals that were living at those residences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd run together. Uh, and it was all about creating community, learning from each other uh, and holding each other accountable to what we said we were going to do. Which I would think part of that is just showing up, right? Showing, and that's the thing, right? Uh, especially when you're when you're in a shelter, when you're in these programs, and, and you're doing all the right. There's a lot going on. It's not. Um, there's a lot of competing priorities, and, and you know, as as I went out and built these relationships, I would have to go into these programs. I'll, I'll never forget at the one a, a reentry program. So most of the people coming out of long term incarceration. And we were sitting at a long table and I had to uh, explain the program and I was trying to get them to join the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the looks of disbelief when I was like, we're going to we're going to run three days a week at 530 in the morning. They're like, the hell we are. Um, like, I don't think so, buddy. Um, but it was it was it was so interesting to see, um, you know, one that people actually took us up on it uh, to go into these programs and and talk about this program. And then to see people start showing up Uh, and, you know, maybe in the beginning it was for different reasons, but then in the end, um, seeing that people want to be part of something, Uh, volunteers and those that were in the program, right? Like, you know, so many volunteers, I think, showed up to that program thinking that they were going to like help other people. Right. Uh, and it was the it was almost always the reverse. Um, my I saw it every day. I learned so much every day. And the volunteers right. I walked away with like, man, like I, I never expected that. Yeah, because it seems like in, in that environment, it's not just about community, but there's obviously confidence that that comes from that and confidence that stems from uh, holding themselves accountable. And, and achieving some degree of whatever, uh, they were trying to accomplish with, with the running. And, and that was exactly it. Uh, uh, I'll never forget, uh, um, what gentleman I was working with that was, that had done maybe 35 years in prison recently, recently released. Um, and one of the nicest guys, which sounds odd to say, right? Like you don't yeah. typically think 35 years in prison, you probably didn't do something nice to get in there. Um, but super dedicated and committed. And one day we were just sitting there talking and he was just like, you know, I just want people to to see me for who I am now. And I just want to want to be like in the community. I want I want to like have the confidence to your point of like be out there and, and do different things uh, and feel part of something. So, um, yeah, super rewarding experience. So I mean, I read that you'd had a, a coaching certification from USA track and field. Was that having to do with the, the running program? No, that was just something, um, you know, being a, a runner, um, just trying to learn all of the things, uh, about running that I couldn't, did I, I hear you say something about running and swimming yourself? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> Uh, getting back into running. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, for a long time, I was on this, this routine of, well, I've run my entire life. I did track and field and cross country in high school and always sort of, you know, run for fitness purposes. Then, I don't know, about 10 years ago, started running half marathons, um, trying to do like at least one a year as running with my sister. And, and yeah, unfortunately, it sort of got interrupted by the pandemic. But um, yeah, I've got my um, eye on the San Diego Half Marathon next March. 
Oh, you still there? Yep, I got you. Okay. Um, so yeah, next March, San Diego Half Marathon. Very nice. That's a good one. Uh, I, I did that one a few years back. It's a it's a tough one uh, toward the end there. Oh yeah, with the the big hill on mile eleven. Yeah, coming up Washington yeah. Street. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of those hills you look at and think, this would be a lot more fun to run down than run up. <laughs> yes. I've gone, down, I've gone down on my bicycle and I've gone up on my bicycle. Uh, yeah. Not really easy on my bike either. So anyway, no. um, yes, yeah, so I do some of that. But why well, it's just interesting about the USA track and fields because well, world track and field championships are starting in Eugene today as we record this. But also... Um, I'd had Brian Smith on my show as the CEO of, of Leon, which is sort of a, a wellness oriented app as well. And he had spent, I don't know, five years, I think as a sports scientist with uh, USA track and field. And Very cool. yeah, well, it brought this idea of, you know, what he learned about performance psychology to, you know, to sales and, you know, this, this so many things that he learned that, that, and I, I make this, comment all the time, but you know, there's level of science and professionalism from professional sports that we could bring into sales that, uh, in terms of, yeah, how do you coach performance for instance, uh, that's just missing. Well, yeah. And, and that was, you know, it's being a runner and spending so much time in nonprofit, uh, as the years went on, then, similar type of path uh, um, in some ways that I, I ended up getting a master's degree in sport and performance psychology uh, for that same reason, right? I, I, I entered that program not because I wanted to work with athletes, um, but mm -hmm. because I wanted to like dig deeper into myself on how I can continue to get better and how I can help other people continue uh, to get better and, and open doors. And it really is it's transferable, right? Like yeah. you see it in sports all the time. Everybody has a, a mindset coach now, right. um, you know, sports, you know, I, I uh, in the, my last organization, uh, which was a coaching platform using sports psychology. Uh, one of the, one of the coaches would always say um, sales is baseball, uh, right? Like you miss um, a lot more than you hit. Oh yeah. See, I hate that analogy, but because <laughs> unfortunately it's true for many, many, yeah. uh, sales organizations, but yeah, I don't, you'll get me on my, my soapbox about win rates and how pathetic yeah. low they are in so many industries and why they could be so much better. Um, yeah, yeah that that's cause I know that comes up, but I, I think in sports it is very relevant in terms of, you know, how you look at the whole person, right. Is Yeah professional sports, golfers, for instance, individual, we'll call them individual contributors, if you will. They have a team though, right? They've got their, their sports psychologist and they've got their nutritionist and their fitness coach. And, and, uh, gosh, there's so much more of that we could apply in sales. Um, just making access available to psychologists, right. To, to help people work through issues. We know stress is such a big, a big problem in, in sales and become sort of amplified during the pandemic is yeah. Again, one of my things I got a, a rant about is how many salespeople do you need an organization to justify the cost of a staff psychiatrist or a psychologist, excuse me, staff psychotherapist that people could talk to and to work issues through. 100%. Uh, and it, it is, 
it's such an important thing, right? Like as, as I even, you know, think back to teams I've been on and, you know, large numbers, but, you know, you're dealing with family things, you're dealing with personal things, you're dealing with, right. And, and you still have these big goals and, and um, you're trying to balance a lot. Uh, and then there's a lot of pressure and there's pressure in your personal life. There's pressure in all areas of your life and with revenue numbers always going up. Um, the pressure, pressure is never waning. No. And yeah, more so in sales than almost any other professions. You, you can't hide. <laughs> right. I mean, when, when things are bad, I mean, there's no coasting. Uh, yeah. You have to go out and engage every day. And yeah, it just seems so short-sighted. I and mean, so many senior leaders and companies that just don't get this is like, yes, sales is, I think, underinvested in, even though people would say, Oh, look at our SGNA numbers. We're spending all this on sales. It's like, yeah, spend it differently. Right. I would rather have one fewer say if I had, a large sales team. I'd rather have one or two fewer salespeople and have the type of support professionals like a therapist on staff or um, a professional coach, performance coach, right? Instead of having some frontline sales manager with no experience trying to coach their sellers is have actual coaches on staff. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's something you see. Uh, I, I know you, you've talked to, uh, about it in the past as well, right? In that, um, not a lot of training generally for managers, uh, right? So right. much of the resources go to individual contributors, uh, and the managers can often be the, 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 I don't necessarily want to say the linchpin, right? But really kind of setting the tone and the culture and sure. can really, you know, have that make or break on a team if they're not setting the right tone and aren't able to support their people in the right way. So, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> It is sort of ironic that, you know, here's the individuals that research shows have the single biggest impact on salespeople, which is their immediate manager. And yeah, we underinvest in them to such a great degree in these very fundamental things, which is teaching people how to coach, how to manage performance, um, and give them just a better baseline of knowledge. But I, I do think that maybe a better answer long term is. Maybe we expect less of frontline managers as coaches and higher coaches. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great call out. Like how do you, uh, what's the answer there? Is it to, to expect every frontline manager to be an amazing coach or provide additional resources? Um, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting yeah. thought. Yeah. Have managers manage the things, right? The process and the data. That's what they're all being sort of, forced to focus on anyway and then yeah bring coaches in again is i think if you <laughs> we look at the stats that show you know low quota attainment and all these other things we're also tired of talking about it's like well let's start trying to fix it as maybe we don't need as many salespeople if the salespeople we have can perform at higher levels so what's the key to that it's not oh we're gonna go find these superstars it's no we're gonna help these people grow to be really good at what they do and we do that by giving them the right type of support. Yeah, uh, agreed. Like the right set, right type of support all the way around, right from the from the coaching to, you know, the um, things like your book, uh, right? Like teaching people how to sell mm -hmm. with a little bit more heart. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, coming from you know my background in nonprofit work, right? Like I never, 
I never wanted to be in sales. Um, hated the idea of sales. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was um, like a dis- disgusting profession coming from the nonprofit world. I only wanted to help people. Yeah. Uh, um, and um, I just didn't know anything about it. Right. And I didn't realize that in nonprofit. Right. Like I was trying to to get people to sign up for the program. I was trying to show people opportunity. I was trying to get people to see things from a, a different perspective mm-hmm. and, and influence. Uh, right. And then realize like, that's actually what I'd been doing all along. And once I took that approach to sales, um, it really just, it, it, it completely changed my outlook on all of that, right? It's all about helping people find opportunity. It's not about persuading people about anything, just like I wasn't doing in nonprofit work. I wasn't trying right. to convince anybody to live a different life. I was talking through what's important to them and, you know, how do we, how do we get it? Absolutely. Gosh, I should have interviewed you before I wrote the book. Um, but that is the message, right? I mean, that's our job as, as salespeople is to understand what's most important to the people we're trying to help and then help them get those things that are important to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Different mindset. Well, maybe the answer is running programs. <laughs> I think we should mandatory. Sales sales team. Teams. That's right. Mandatory sales. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if my team is ready to get up at five thirty in the morning and, and go running. I, I think I might get us some sideways looks from that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, they'd all have to stream it on their phones or make sure they're doing it. But yeah, um, <laughs> since we're all remote these days. Um, yeah. Well, another thing that's interesting in, in, um, in your background that is looking through it, it was that you did some training in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, do you use that at all in managing your, your sellers and your team? To me, it, it's all kind of laid the foundation, right? Like all of that work I was doing it in the jail uh, and in nonprofit was CBT based, like helping people, um, helping people form better habits, exploring why they think things and mm-hmm. how they think about things. And, and, and again, not like telling people what to think, but just having people think a few layers deeper about maybe why they have those thoughts right. and why they do those things. Right. Um, and, you know, combine that and then later on kind of getting a master's degree in, in sport and performance psychology. It's kind of like it's all connected. Right. It's just like, how do you how do you understand it? But then you got to do it consistently. Right. No matter what's going on in your life, you still got to show up. Right. Like I have kids. I still got to show up. Uh, I have a revenue number. I still got to show up. I still got to do it. And you can do it once. That's great. But can you do it twice? Can you do it three times? Can you do it quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter? That's where all of those things kind of come together and that mindset piece really come into play. So it's definitely something I, I try to bring not just to the team, but to myself, I'm always working on it. I know a lot of the things I'm supposed to do, but like to do it yourself is often uh, one of the biggest challenges. Well, it is right. I mean, and as usual, it's just quarter after quarter. We're also, you know, doing it as a dad and as a partner to your wife and so on. I mean, it's, it's all sort of connected. Yeah. I mean, very. yeah. I mean, you're not separate people just because you're going off and doing work or so on. Um, so that, yeah, it's always a topic that fascinates me in terms of how you build or how you change habits, right? Yeah. Among sellers. And what's sort of been the things you found that are most effective in that regard? Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, um, I think as we think about kind of changing habits, um, it's about 
taking this mindset like that you're open first to changing your habits. Mm-hmm. Like you got it. It has to start from a place of openness. Mm-hmm. Like I'm open to getting better. And as I think about teams, um, this idea of just continuous improvement and not getting complacent and just like, there's always more to learn. There has to be a hunger to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, start. Um, but then we also have to understand um, just like in discovery, right? Like why it's important potentially important for this person to change. What are they trying to do? What do they care about? Um, why would they want to get better? Why would they want to change it? Yeah, maybe they'll they'll bring in more revenue, but is that what matters to them? Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be a certain degree, but what are the other drivers, right? You got to understand these different pieces. And then when you can, um, it's about consistency, I think, and feedback. Uh, and as you see those behaviors that maybe aren't changing, you, you continue to to not only just say do this, but also explain why uh, and why this is a better way, why this is potentially another way to look at it, like and understanding how they're thinking about it, like help me understand, like how you're approaching this Mm -hmm. and having a conversation so that we can really get to the to the root of it. And then when you see those the behaviors start to change because it will be inconsistent to start, right? Um, it won't be every time. Maybe it'll be one out of five times to start, but then you have to start reinforcing that just positive reinforcement, you know, going into gong and being like, saw, I saw that. I know you've been working on that. And I see that like awesome job doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then incentivizing, uh, against it, uh, when you can as well, whether that's on a monthly or quarterly basis, right. They just need the, the one-to-one, um, reinforcement, but then also across the team, how you, how are you reinforcing it, um, through incentives, through talking, um, and calling people out on calls to be like, Hey, here's a call. Like, here's a, a great way. This person answered this question. Here's a great way. This person did this, um, to build those habits across the team. So now you're not just doing it in a vacuum with one person, but you're taking all the best practices, uh, that everybody has across the team and getting it to as many people as you can. Yeah. So I mean, in, following up on that is, is so what in your mind what um you know sort of listening to go through that explanation so in your mind what what constitutes a, a healthy sales culture healthy sales culture um yeah that's uh um seems like uh it, it's hard to find at times uh as you talk to so many sellers which is a, a sad uh, a sad thing. Um, but, you know, as I look at our team and what we were, what we've tried to create mm-hmm. and continue to try to create um, is healthy competition um, and sellers like, you know, how, what's a, what's a border on healthy competition. That could be a fine line, mm-hmm. right? Uh, some people take it too far. Some people care a lot more. Some people care a lot less. Um, but there has to be some element of healthy competition. Nobody wants to be the bottom, uh, but you shouldn't be stepping over each other to get to the top. Uh, so that's where, you know, healthy competition, um, intentional culture building and really kind of setting the stage that we don't win alone and we don't lose alone, uh, is very important to me. And it's one of the most important things that I talk about in interviews. Like if you want to be part of a team, like, it's not just about you hitting your number. Um, like, are you also helping make other people on the team better? Right. Those are the types of people that I want. Um, and that has to be reinforced. That has to be highlighted. That has to be talked about. Uh, that expectation needs to be set from the beginning. Um, so healthy competition, intentional culture building, um, coaching uh, people. There has to be consistent coaching. Uh, like we've been talking about, mm-hmm. talking through like, 
care about? How do you think about things? Let's think, what if we thought about it this way? How do you think about it if we think about it? That, right? mm-hmm. Just having those conversations um, and creating a culture where people feel like they can have those conversations with you and not feel um, that it's coming from a place of um, command and control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's uh, again, but that goes back to that team element. And that's something that I've always taken with me from from the Marines. Right. And that you can get through anything. Right. You can live in the in a tent in, in, with 20 guys in, in Baghdad uh, and still find find ways to laugh, find ways to to encourage each other, find ways to right? like you can. It's the team. Yeah. It's the people that help you get through all of that. And if you're not if you're not building that on your team, then you're I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. Well, and also I always remember this uh, part in in one of Charles Duhigg's books. I think is Better, Faster, Stronger. I, I forget the exact title, but um, the one he wrote after The Power of Habit. And yeah. he was talking about you know he had interviewed uh, the commandant of the Marine Corps and we're talking about in their training is how they train the individual soldier at you know, the lowest level to think for themselves, you know, to make good decisions about what they do, right? That's not just this command and control, but yeah, you're, you're a living, breathing part of this team. And it's not just a matter of marching in lockstep as, as you're going to have decisions to make about, that could have impact on the people around you and the things you're doing is, is encouraging that, that, uh, I don't know, that mindfulness, I guess I would say. Um, I just wanted was that reflected in the way you, you were trained as well? So throughout it, right. Well, anybody that's been through Marine Corps boot camp knows in the beginning, there's not a lot. They, the, the, they like to tell you that it's the easiest time that you'll you'll ever have in your life because you don't have to think about right. anything. You don't have to think about when you eat, when you brush your teeth, what body part you're going to wash, um, what you're going to wear. You don't think about anything. They tell you what to do, when to do it. Uh, but then as they go along, it's so intentional about then connecting you to the team, connecting you not then to the team, but to the Marine right. Corps, to the mission, to, right? So it's not about you, necessarily it's it's always about it's about the team right like you you can't just be thinking about yourself you have to make decisions based on the mm-hmm. team uh and what's going to be for the greater good of the team uh and that's reinforced from a very um from a very early stage and um i've seen it play out uh, and i've seen the benefit of the team and i've seen teams um i've seen the power of teams um in that world and and you know that it's one thing to create in, in an environment like a marine, like the Marine Corps. Obviously, you're not going to replicate that mm-hmm. in uh, in a sales team. Nor I do I think you you probably want to. But there's elements of yeah. that, right? That you can take and, and you can uh, you can put into place and intentionally build that culture around team and company and doing um, doing what's good for each other. Yeah. Well, I I was hark back to. Um that's our military history buff and then ring oral histories of like the invasion of Normandy in world war two. And, and they always talk about sort of, you know, the hallmark of American soldiers compared to other countries perhaps was that when perhaps they got separated from the commander or, you know, their immediate uh, leader, 
that they're able to think for themselves and encouraged to say, okay, to your point, yeah, what can I do right now? This is in the best interest of my team and to help my team move forward. And I think we need more elements of that in our, our training as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it gets harder as a sales team grows, uh, I'm sure. And, and, you know, you can feel, you know, I, I've, you know, only been in smaller type of, of smart startup organizations, you know, as you get to very large enterprise organizations, probably a little harder, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of reps can feel like a cog in the wheel. Um, so I think even, you know, in those, it, it's about being even more intentional. Right. How does their work really matter? Uh, and who are they connected to? They can't just be connected to the organization as an idea, right? Like there has to be some connection through the organization about, um, that ties them to it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, What's it all for? Yeah, well, I think it also it gets to this idea of, I think, from a hiring standpoint, is that you're hiring for a team. I think so many managers yeah. look at it, so I'm hiring individuals to be part of the team, but they don't get a little thought about, well, how do all these pieces fit together? Even salespeople. I don't want my salespeople all to be the same. Yeah. I know I need a mix of, individ- of personalities and a mix of skills and talents because together – that mix is going to be more powerful than if I got six people or just same background, same, you know, skills as the others. Uh, and, and that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're building a team and, and on a team, you need different types of um, different types of voices, different types of background, different types of people uh, in order to really make sure you have the best team yeah. um, because there isn't just one best profile, uh, one best person uh, that you can replicate. Yeah. All right. So question Back on Blueboard, because I said that I've I've used Blueboard. Uh, have you had a chance to use it? I have. What was, um, what was your experience that you? You know, it was. I, I would I would harken back to my first Blueboard uh, reward that I got, which. Um, you know, we use as part of our onboarding process as well. So using it uh, for sales incentives, using it as part of mm-hmm. our onboarding, we use it for anniversaries, we use it for a lot of different use cases. Um, but it was before I started at the company, I received it. So oh. I accepted the job, um, got a call from, you know, VP of sales, founder called me, congratulated me. Everybody started reaching out to me on, on LinkedIn. It was just like, oh shit, like this is like, this, this is cool. Like um, people are excited. I'm excited. Um, and then I got an email saying, congratulations, like super excited to have you like use this reward, uh, on us. Um, and I was like, man, this is the way to, this is a way to come into mm-hmm. a, a company. Um, so going through the menu, I sat down and, you know, I mentioned a, a wife, uh, and two little boys sat down on the couch and started looking through options. Um, not going to lie. I saw a massage. I saw some relaxation. All that looked really good to me. Um, but then, (laughs) yes. Um, but then as, as I went through it, you know, then I found uh, a year membership, uh, to the San Diego children's, um, museum. Um, and I was just like, man, like, that's like, that's something we talked about doing. We hadn't been down there yet. Um, and, it's not that it was like a, a ton of money to do, but it's just one of those things that I wasn't like, ah, like, I don't know. Like it's just didn't do it. Uh, what wasn't going right. to do it, uh, just for myself. And then I saw it there. I was like, man, that's perfect. Um, so, uh, chose it. Concierge reached out to me again. This is all before I started, uh, congratulated me on the job, booked my experience. Uh, and it's, 
so funny that you asked about it because just like two days ago, it must have been um, the anniversary of when I went or when I had the pictures on my phone, but they all came up on my phone. Uh, and it was a couple of years back, so my boys were a little smaller, but it was me, my wife, and my boys uh, running around there uh, just having a good time. Uh, it was just such like a memorable experience and still got the pictures popping up every yeah. year uh, on, on the anniversary when it happened, right? Facebook uh, is great about sharing those memories and reminding you of the time. Um, but it was just like such a cool thing to be able to do with my family because now it wasn't just like me starting yeah. this new job. Uh, it was also like now my whole family is just like, oh, like Tim's company gave him right. this. Blue Board gave right. him this. Um, so yeah, it was just like such a cool experience and, and something my kids still talk about. Excellent. Yeah. I did, um, I think beer of the month club. <laughs> I don't, my kids are, my kids are much older. So <laughs> it was all, it was all about me. So, uh, you, you, you indulged in a passion I did. on that one. Well, I, yeah. I tried to do the taco tour of San Diego, but yeah. they weren't offering at the time. So wow. the beer of the month was second, second choice, but, um, yeah. All right. Well, Tim, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure to have you here. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about Blueboard, what's the best way to do that? Yep. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Tim Mann. You can also uh, shoot me a note at tim.mann at blueboard.com. Yeah. Two, two ends on man. Two ends. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> so, all right, Tim, uh, have a great weekend. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Andy. Bye. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Tim Mann, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>